This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. It was a great night for the Edmonton Oilers. It's a great night for Leon Dreisaitl. Four points and $5,000 lighter. The cross check, the back of the hockey pants, Bo Horvat. Welcome back to Western Canada. Wait till you get to Vancouver. Uh, Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. Hello, Fridge. Hey, how you doing, Jeff? Uh, I am well. Uh, before we get into what we saw last night, because this is essentially the adjacent program to Bob Stoffer and Oilers now and has been for a couple of weeks, um, <laughs> any, anything from the managers? Um, well, I just accidentally ate a coffee bean. Does that count? Um, <laughs> but You're supposed to grind those, Elliot. <laughs> That's what I just learned the hard way. You know, I, I think, you know, this is only a three-hour meeting, and so it's it's tight. They they throw a few things around, and they kind of just say, um, what do you think about it? Go back to your players, your coaches, mm-hmm. talk about it, and then we'll see where we are in March at the bigger meeting. And, you know, one of the things was um, overtime, and I think the question that was being asked was when we came in with three-on-three, it was really exciting. Is it still exciting or is there a problem? And definitely one of the things they talked about was the regrouping. Oh. And is there something they have to fix? Is there a, is there a solution for it? But I, I definitely think you're going to hear talk about that. Now, one of the things they didn't discuss was making it 10 minutes. Uh, we were told that wasn't what they talked about. It was simply keeping it at five. But is there a way that they can take away all the regrouping. So that was one thing that was talked about. Um, You know, Jeff, I think some of the other stuff that was discussed was um, one of the things that came out was if there's a penalty shot called, does it have to be the player who's fouled? Can the coach pick anybody on the team to do it? Yep. And I think that came up in, in conversation too, but that's actually a rule change that would have to go through the whole competition committee and things like that. So, yeah. um, but that was something that was discussed. I know there were conversations about <laughs> battles in front of the net. What is legal boxing out and what is cross checking? Um, slashing came up again in the hands. And, you know, one of the other things that came up was, um, you know, do we need to liberalize, um, offside for offside reviews. And what we're talking about here is possession. Like, you know, it used to be, Jeff, when we played and we were young, and uh, I admit I stunk, but, you know, <laughs> you had to have the puck on the stick, basically, to yeah. go offside. Now there's so many players yeah. who, who, like, shield the puck instead of carry it. Yeah. And do we have to liberalize the rules because they're so skilled at it? So all of those things, plus, obviously, the cut-resistant equipment came up quite a bit. But these were the kinds of things that were thrown around as they prepare for the March meetings. Okay, so uh, a, a lot there. Um, let me start with the overtime. So this morning, at, uh, I hosted a panel at primetime, um, and Scott Housen was part of the panel, uh, the president, yep. uh, CEO of the American Hockey League. And I threw out his last question, sort of right down the line, from Mike Morreale to Dan McKenzie to, to Glenn Johnson to, to Scott Housen. Um, if you could change one rule in your league, what would you change? And Housen was the last one to speak, and he said... If I could change the three-on-three, because he mentioned the regroups as well. Okay, I'm in the offensive zone. I don't have a shot. Let's neutral zone regroup and go back and attack. He -hmm. said, I would would change it where once you enter the zone, if you voluntarily exit the zone, you have to surrender possession. 
And then mm-hmm. in a nod to Brian Burke, who was sitting in the front row, he said, and if that doesn't work, we'll go to the Brian Burke shot clock. But I thought that was interesting that, that Housen mentioned that. Like, that is on the radar of a lot of people right now. Like, I'm, it's, it's an interesting conversation because when it first started, like that first year of the, of the three-on-three overtime, there was one, it was Detroit and Ottawa, which was like the greatest five minutes of hockey that a lot of us had ever seen. It was like Hagler and Hearns. You know, the three rounds of glory that was Hagler and Hearns, where if you watch a bad boxing match, go to YouTube and oh, put that yeah. on, and you'll feel a lot better uh, about, what, about, about what, 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 what boxing can be. And, you know, Hausen said, like, you know what? It, it used to be, like, it was sprint, 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 up and down the ice. And I think we've all felt this way. There's a lot of regroups. Like, every now and then you'll get a glorious overtime. Like, there was a Buffalo-Minnesota game last year which for my money, just because it was so dramatic and it was a lot of sprints and action, like it was probably the best three-on-three overtime I think I've ever seen. But by and large, right now, you get the zone, and if you don't have the perfect shot, you regroup. And it's just like setting up for the perfect shot, and it's whoever gets possession first, they're setting up, they're taking three minutes to get the the, the perfect shot. Um, I'm glad that that's on the radar. I don't know what they can do about it. My glib answer has always been get rid of the coaches like overtime starts the coaches have to leave like the coaches have to take take the walk and go back into the dressing room uh i'm sure you've heard some ideas about what to do with it maybe you have a thought of what you would do with three on three overtime is there anything that comes to your mind either how you feel or what you've heard about how to solve this problem well i mean the the one of the things that you could always do is if a team does that you can blow it dead and, and force them to take a D zone draw. But I know people don't like whistles. They want less whistles. Yeah. Um, they, they don't want more. Like, um, so, I mean, the other thing you could do is you could just say, okay, you're forced to dump the puck in and go back to your own blue line and let the other team come out with it. That's something else. But, um, I, I, you know, those are the two things that immediately jumped into my head. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you could always make it a penalty. I mean, if you really want to scare people off it, you, wow. could, you could make it a delay of game penalty. But um, I, I don't know if anyone's going to want to go back far, that far. But it's very clear, Jeff, that the one thing that they, what they brought up today is they want ideas. Yeah. And, and the question, like I said, that was being asked is, is this still as exciting? And if not, how do we make it exciting? How quickly would I get laughed out of the room if I put my hand up and said, how about two pucks? Yeah, I would lead the <laughs> laughing. I just like when you get on me for goofy ideas. Um, the, the other one, the slashing of the hands. So this is an interesting one. Like I've talked to officials about this for a long time. The yep. re- the, here's what I was always told. I know every now and then there's a penalty where a stick gets up on the hands. It doesn't affect the player who has the puck. It doesn't affect their motion. It doesn't affect anything. But the arm yep. goes up and there's a call. And guys like you and me say, oh, what a ticky-tack call. That's awful. Yep. And the reason the officials are instructed to always call it is if we let that standard slide even a little, like you know what players are like. If they think mm-hmm. that they have a tiny advantage, they will take it. And if they think mm-hmm. that they can mess with the rule, they'll take it. And what mm-hmm. what what is considered a ticky-tack penalty can soon turn into Johnny Gaudreau's out six to eight because he's got a broken finger. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know what, Jeff? You're probably right. I would concede that to you. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons they, they do this here 
is they show everybody the the video. Okay, this is a slash. What do you think about it? And I think they just want to try to see if they get any kind of consensus opinion. You know, one of the problems is there's 32 guys in here. So, you know, the the chances of getting them to agree on anything uh, in a huge way is very, very slim. Mm -hmm. But you can at least get an idea which way the wind is blowing, right? And I think the cross-checking one was, uh, was a... Uh, was, was something that was discussed quite a bit because, you know, like you look at um, you, you look at this uh, GM crew and you got, although I don't think Eisenman's here, I think he's overseas. You've got a guy in front like Steve, you got a guy, an offensive guy like Eisenman, yeah. and you've got like a Hall of Fame defensive guy like Blake, who was here, Rob Blake, and you're like, okay, how does everybody feel about this? And I, and I do think um, the the whole boxing out versus cross-check discussion i don't know if i want to call it significant but a few people mentioned it kind of unprompted Mm -hmm. so that leads me to believe it was something that was discussed uh reasonably uh in detail how many teams just vote based on what best serves their team right now or would i would bet i would bet almost all of them (laughs) right well you can recall like you remember how the league ganged up against um, Martin, four four. Martin? Well, how they ganged up on Martin Brodeur and Marty Turco. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, next thing you yeah. know, it's uh, the trapezoid NHL, and that was about two goaltenders. We always forget about Turco, who was right there as well. Uh, wasn't Chris the only Fletcher. Marty. Yeah, right. Calgary Flames were tired of seeing Edmonton play four on four, so they got it out of the league. That yeah, is, yeah, is, it's, it's true. Yeah, that is such it's a true. that is such a great story. Offsetting offsetting minors used to be okay. You're playing four on four, and the others would dine out. That's a that's a that's a great call by you. Um, uh, the penalty shot one is interesting. I remember having a conversation, uh, with the late Wade Belak and we were at one night and I said, what would you do if you got hauled down on a breakaway? And he said, well, first of all, I'll never be on a breakaway, but if I was, I'd fake an injury. And I said, really? He goes, yeah, because there's no way I should be taking that shot. I'd fake an injury. So Pat would send someone else uh, over the board, send Matt Sundin over the boards because uh, there, there's no way that, uh, that I would want the responsibility of that shot. And I'd probably just, you know, send it into the goaltender's pillows. That one to me is, in, that one to me is an interesting one. Do you have a thought on uh, maybe which way the wind blows from GMs on the, you know, choose who your, choose who your shooter is for penalty shots? Well, I remember a year ago I, the, at this very meeting, one of the conversations was, sh- is, should there be a choice between a power player or a penalty shot? Yeah. And, and, and so, like, obviously that didn't go anywhere, but it was fun to have that conversation. And what one guy said to me was, I think it was actually Chuck Fletcher, uh, was, we were was talking to us, he says, like, that's a tough spot to put a coach in because, hey, if you have Connor McDavid, no problem. But if you have like a like, do you want to tell a fourth line player or a third pairing defenseman that you know, hey, we don't trust you to do this? Now, some of them would probably have the sense of humor of a Wade Belak, yeah. uh, Jeff, yeah. but some might not. So, like, uh, like I, I don't mind the idea. Like, if if the players in the league decide that's what they want to do, hey, I'm all for it. I don't have a strong opinion either way. Um, but I, uh, and personally, if I was coaching and you, I had a penalty shot, I would want my best possible player taking it. But I know there are people out there who are risk averse and embarrassment averse, and they don't like that kind of thing. I just wonder wonder if there is a player who would bring up, and you'll know this one, Elliot, uh, the example of that New York Rangers, Washington Capitals marathon shootout. Yes, Merrick Malik. Which was ended by Merrick Malik uh, between the legs. 
And then the best part is he did the Statue of Liberty celebration <laughs> along the well, bench. He looked, he, it was gorgeous. He looked, like, he, he, he looked at everybody like, what are you so surprised about? I know. It was like crazy. how non uh, That was the best part about it was like, I, I don't know why you guys are surprised. I'm uh, not surprised. I know I could do this. Uh, like that was the best part. That was awesome. That was uh, that was great. Uh, and and finally, just a, a thought on the cut resistant technology. Um, we understand that players, you know, hesitate when you know uh, when they're told what to wear, but they can't. Like here, hey, look at these shot blockers. They can save your feet. Nah, no thanks. Don't make those mandatory. We're not going to wear mm-hmm. those. Forget about. It. There's some people that players that obviously do, but. Making it mandatory, no choice, no way. And a lot of players still either believe they're invincible or believe that the odds are in their favor, that they'll never need it, despite how many times you see in Adam Johnson, Clinton Malarchuk, Richard Zednick video. I mean, Zednick himself took off his neck protection and said essentially, uh, what are the odds of it happening twice? Um, do you think that goes anywhere, Elliot? Well, first of all, I, I have to say in a lot of ways, I am like that too, personally. I know, I I'm, a, I'm a kind of person who's like, don't tell me what to do because I don't like telling you what to do. And so, um, but like the thing is, is that I do think there's going to be a meeting at the All-Star game where the league and the players are going to be involved and they're going to talk about this more in depth. I think what the NHL would like to push for at the, at the very least is something similar to helmets and visors. Like if you're... Um, yeah. You know, like if if you're a player now, you don't want to wear this stuff. Uh, you don't have to, or you're a veteran player. But if you're younger or you're not yet in the league, you're gonna have to. And I do think that's probably the solution here, Jeff. Yeah. Um, because I think if the if the league if the players say no, at least I think the league is gonna push for. Come on, like we have to make this. Uh, happen at some level and I just think that's going to be it. I wouldn't be surprised. I can't say for sure that's going to happen but I wouldn't be surprised if that's where we end up. Okay to uh, game one of the Knobloch era. The Oilers beat yep. the New York Islanders. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl very much front and center. He just had a monster of a game. Uh, a game that cost him $5,000 but I think that Leon Dreisaitl's cool with that. That's his tip money for the day. Um, the cross check to Bo Horvat's pants, which was an interesting visual. Uh, we don't see that very often, if at all. Uh, but now he's $5,000 lighter, but the Edmonton Oilers pick up a win. Dreisaitl picks up four points. And are we starting to see if Edmonton Oilers players indeed have upper teeth or not? Well, look, uh, uh, Jeff, we all thought this was the case after the uh, outdoor game. That, uh, everything is fine. So I, I am not going to proclaim them as cured of whatever was ailing them. You know, Jeff, to be honest, I'm sure I wasn't the only guy last night. You know, that game started just after 8.30 Eastern. You know, the Islanders score 40 seconds oh, yeah. in. You know, as, a, oh, yeah. as, I, as I always tell you, it's bad when a team scores when the line combinations are still on the screen. Like, that, that is what you don't want to see. Yeah. And I turned, I turned, I was babysitting Max last night, and I was like, okay, Max, let's go practice the piano. I don't know why. I can't even <laughs> watch this anymore. So I was... <laughs> So I, 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 so, and then like, you know, because you, you, you really thought like for a second, I, for a second there, I was like, is Knobloch going to lose his first game 10, nothing. Like that's what you're thinking. Yeah. And you know, they righted themselves and dry sidle was great. But again, like I'm not going to proclaim that everything is solved after one game. We've seen this yeah. movie before, but the key thing is dry sidle was going um, Skinner, like Skinner recovered. He, yep. he had a bad first minute, obviously, but he made a lot of big saves um, you know, t- McDavid's still far from looking right. Um, 
But the one thing I thought was really interesting was Nurse's ice time. I think he was third on the team. And I wonder if one of Paul Coffey's moves here running the defense is going to be from Darnell Nurse, less is more. And, you know, we have to squeeze some other minutes out of there that you don't have to take. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I I mean, it's one night. I I hesitate to see trends, to say there are trends, but that's one thing I'm going to be looking to see if it continues. You know, that's interesting because the one defenseman that I thought of specifically when we found out that Paul Coffey was going to go on the bench, I thought to myself, okay, so who's the best skater back there? And it's clearly Darnell Nurse. I know that Mm -hmm. there have been issues with decision-making, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But nonetheless, like... If I'm Paul Coffey, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I can best relate to this skater because that is his strong suit. Say whatever you want about Darnell Nurse, the guy's an excellent skater. That was the one player that I thought that if I'm Paul Coffey, I want to start working with ASAP just because there's a skill set overlap there. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's no question that that's true. I think also... Like, look, like, you know, Nurse did a great interview with Luke Gazdick in the offseason where he talked about the emotional toll of kind of being, uh, uh, the heat being on him. You know, that's the way it goes in our society. If you're the highest paid person or one of the highest paid people, you know, you get a, a larger amount of the of the criticism and probably the success. So, you know, that's the way it is. Um, you know, I, obviously I haven't spoken to coffee. I watched him the other day. Um, you know, I have to think that, you know, initially he kind of hinted, he said no to going behind the bench, but I, I, my sense is from that media conference is either like, you know, Daryl Cates asked him to do it or somebody said to him, uh, you know, um, we have to figure out what's going on with our defense. You know them. We need you there because we don't have time to go out and find someone else to help us. Mm-hmm. And so I suspect that that is part of the conversation. But, you know, you're right, Jeff. Like, like Nurse, um, he's too important. Yeah. And, you know, they, they, they have to find a way to get him to, to, get, to go up another level. And I do wonder if this is a less is more conversation with him. Uh, okay, the Hockey Hall of Fame. Any, um, any of the speeches stand out for you as well. I mean, Max uh, Pierre Lacroix's grandson, I thought was fantastic. Yeah. I thought that uh, yeah. Carolyn Ouellette was tremendous. Uh, her line, if you haven't noticed, I'm quite French. Uh, I still laugh at as I even just say it to myself right now. Uh, I thought she was tremendous. Anything stand out for you last night from the hall? You know, I, I think the one thing, and I, and I talked about this briefly with Kelly on Saturday night, is, um, you know, just about, like I look at Mike Vernon, and I see a guy who's going to the Hall of Fame, and he is the one person who was on the stage who, if he started playing hockey now, he could not be a Hall of Famer because he wouldn't be allowed to play goal. And, um, you know, Dustin, you know, like Vernon, um, a flame goalie, and you look at the highlights, man, and he really looks small. So it's even more impressive what he did in his career. But I look at Dustin Wolf now, who has first appearance of the season yep. on Saturday night, and um, it just the, the whole juxtaposition was was interesting to me. Just watching Wolf and, and watching Vernon last night, and watching the highlights of Vernon, and 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 thinking that here's this guy who's in the Hall of Fame, and if he was, you know, uh, ten years old now, the idea of him being a goaltender, uh, it just wouldn't exist. Like he wouldn't get the chance. 
It's a great point. You know, I've always made the point that, you know, um, 20, 30 years ago, for example, take two people out of their hockey equipment, just put them in suits. And one of them is 5'10", and one of them is 6'5". And I said, okay, tell me which one's the goalie and which one's the defenseman. You know, 30 years ago, the 6'5 guy's your defenseman and the 5'10 guy's your goaltender. Here we are right now, and that is flipped. Yeah. Now the 6'5 guy's your goalie and the 5'10 guy's your defenseman. Those yeah. two positions it's, have completely flipped. Yeah, it is, it is, it is very, very different. It's, uh, it's completely changed. And, um, you know, I, it, it, I mean, it is amazing. Like, we've evolved in some ways. Like you said, the smaller players, they never could. You know, the one thing I'm really curious about, Jeff, is you, you take a look at the last two Stanley Cup champions, or last three, really, mm-hmm. and you see Tampa and you see Colorado and you see Vegas. And what did they all have in common? Like long, rangy defensemen. Not necessarily like big, strong killers like there were, like, you know, Dave Manson was when he played. But they're long and they're mobile. And you it's like they set up like a maze to get through. And, you know, I, I do wonder if maybe not so much at forwards, but maybe on defense, mm. we're going to go through a phase where if you're not able to be like that, you're not gonna. You're not gonna play defense. Virile, agile, hostile, dancing bears. Virile, agile, hostile, dancing bears. Um, one more thing on well, the, on at the least, Hall of Fame. At least two of those. Uh, <laughs> at, at least two of those are you. Uh, eh, maybe none. Um, okay, let me ask you one more thing on the Hall of Fame. I was having this conversation earlier with uh, with Paul Paduti, who uh, you know the creator of the Paduti Point Share. You know, judging based mm-hmm. on data, who who, qual- who qualifies for the Hockey Hall of Fame. And mm-hmm. look, the Stanley Cup doesn't travel to Russia. It doesn't. Like they don't they don't allow like, you win the Stanley Cup and you're a Russian hockey player. Guess what? You're not taking the cup to Russia. It's not happening. Um, Pavel Datsuk is um, eligible for the Hockey Hall of Fame next season uh, and should probably get in to the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, Gonchar has been denied for a long time. McGillney's been denied for a long time here. How much of a, from based on your conversations with people, because I know you're not on the board or anything, you don't have intimate on the voting committee, um, how much is the Russian factor here with someone like Pavel Datsuk? It has been for a lot of other players. You know, I... Honestly, I, I don't know. And, um, you, you know, there are, there are Russians that are still part of the, um, of the selection committee. Igor Larionov. So, yeah, so Igor Larionov is still part of the selection committee. So I, I can't think it's total. Um, you know, just I, I think one of the things that um, I, I think the challenge is is, determining I was talking about this with someone this morning and 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 one of the things that they said to me and I, I want to be very careful how I say this I don't want it taken as the gospel mm-hmm. but this was one of the things that he discussed with me is like it, it, sometimes it's hard like it, it, it's hard to determine like how much it's going to overshadow the whole ceremony right. and also what a player's true politics are and, you know, like, that's one of the things that, you know, you could have a player who is not in favor of what's happening and they could be painted with a brush that they yeah. don't deserve to have painted. 
Oh, but also you could have a player who is in favor of what's happening. Right. And you don't want that to overshadow. And the other thing too is it's, it's hard to know sometimes. In some cases, it's obvious in some case, how a person feels by what they post yeah. or say, but other cases it's not, and you don't want a surprise. Great so point. someone just said to me, Jeff, it's not as simple as saying no Russians. Yeah. It's just you're always, you're always scared of what you don't know and what that could mean yes. that you walk into. That's what it was said to me. We are uh, we are heavy against the clock, but thank you for that very thorough and nuanced answer. I think that's the closest to the truth. Uh, thanks, Elliot Friedman from Thirty Two Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada for stopping by. Uh, thanks to Paul Paduti, Brock McGillis. Back tomorrow.